Welcome to the NHSR podcast. We have a special guest with us today. We've not had a special guest for a while, so I'm rather excited about that. So we don't give them episode uh, numbers anymore, as you know, because they come out in a weird order, so there's no point. So we are recording today on the 19th of September, 2023. I'm going to introduce myself first, which I frequently forget to do, as long-time listeners will know. So my name is Chris Beely. I'm a data scientist and I work at the Strategy Unit. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time and you don't know who NHSR, who NHSR are, which is hard to say, we're a group of um, Python and R programmers in the health and social care in the United Kingdom. Uh, we're a community. We have a Slack channel. We have a conference, which I'll plug at the end. Uh, we have training courses. We have webinars. We have all sorts of great things. One of the things we have is a podcast. Sometimes we do newscasts where we uh, catch you up on all the things that are going on in the community. And sometimes we have special guests, people who work in kind of open source data science type area. And today is one of those. So I will introduce the guest first. So we have today with us Dan Chalk. So Dan, do you want to just introduce yourself and just say where you work? Yeah, so uh, hi, I'm Dan Chalk. Uh, I'm a senior research fellow uh, with uh, the University of Exeter Medical School. Um, and I work in an organization called PenArc and within a little team called PenCord. Excellent, thank you very much. So today, basically, we're going to be, going to be talking all about the HSMA course. I have myself been on the HSMA course and I thought it was great. And I thought it was good, great from a learning point of view, but something else that I thought was really great was that it's very much embodies the NHSR kind of standards of open work. In fact, I've actually stolen some of the course resources. That's how open it is. I, I emailed Dan and he said, of course, you can steal all the course resources you like. So they absolutely have a very open source uh, model. They encourage the use of open source tools. So I thought it was a great kind of philosophically orientated course for us to talk about. Um, so that's, the main bit we're going to talk about today. So, but before we start with all that, Dan, why don't you just tell us kind of, tell us a bit about yourself, how you ended up, what you're doing and what kind of work that you've done in the past. Yeah, sure. So, um, so I guess I, I think my journey, um, uh, quite an interesting one in, in terms of where we've ended up. So, um, I mean, I, I began coding when I was just four years old. Um, uh, I had my first uh, computer, an Atari 800 XL with a mammoth 64 kilobytes of RAM. I thought that was, that was amazing. Um, but I remember getting with that uh, two little cassette tapes. Uh, and one of those cassette tapes was uh, something called an invitation to programming, which is the, a beautiful name uh, for something that would effectively sort of guide everything I do in my life. Um, and uh, it was basically an introduction to programming in basic. And so at four years old, I got the pro programming bug. Uh, I, I became enthused by this magic of being able to do things that would interact with my television. My television suddenly became this sort of interactive medium. Um, and so I grew up around computers. I was obsessed with computers. Um, I loved every aspect of it. And I love that magic of just that interactive element of being able to do things and be able to change things. Um, and so I sort of went through uh, school and um, sort of wondered about uh, what I was going to do in the future. And I, I, I had a passion for, for acting, amateur dramatics. Uh, I thought maybe I should become an actor. Uh, and I also loved the idea of teaching as well. That, that was something that, that always resonated strongly with me. But I, I kept coming back to this idea that I love computers. They're, they're an important part of my life. Um, and so I ended up taking quite a few years out before I went to uni, um, trying to decide what I was going to do until I eventually uh, came down on, on computer science. Uh, and I did my under, undergrad degree here at Exeter. Um, and uh, one thing that struck me about that was um, there were a couple areas of computer science that really spoke to me. One was 
uh, modeling and simulation. I really enjoyed that, that, that idea of being able to create this virtual version of, of uh, a real world um, and sort of play around with it. Um, and the other was machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, although at the time, uh, neural networks uh, escaped it. They, they were much more complex in the old days because uh, nobody really understood how they worked, apart from a few. Uh, fortunately, things have changed. Um, so I went on and, and um, I still didn't really know uh, towards the end of my degree what I wanted to do. Uh, I ended up doing um, a PhD in uh, biological science, um, but actually looking at ecological modelling. So um, uh, it was a project looking at modelling uh, foraging behaviours of bumblebees at large landscape scales. So essentially creating little models of, uh, uh, of bees and how they forage for food and how they fly around landscapes. And the idea was to try and predict uh, whether they would cross-pollinate uh, GM and non-GM crops. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and uh, we were hoping to get a bit of extra funding for this, this kind of wacky project that, uh, that, that, that was really um, interesting, but we, we fell just short. Um, and so I started looking around for jobs, really. Uh, still not quite knowing what I wanted to do, but uh, understanding that I, I did have this passion for modelling. Um, and came across this thing called operational research, which I'd never heard of before. Uh, but this new team had been set up in Exeter, Pencord. Um, and it basically it was all about um, trying to uh, use computer models and data science to try and improve the lives of uh, patients within the health service by essentially using modeling um, to try and predict what might happen if certain changes uh, were made to services. So um, predicting, you know, uh, the impact of putting in an extra nurse here or changing a, a pathway in some way. Um, and so that was back in 2011. Um, and uh, I, I found that I translated well from bees to people. Uh, that was a good that was a good transition. Um, but one thing that that uh, kind of struck me at the time was that we were an incredibly small team at the time when I joined at the, the outset, I mean, literally three of us. Um, but there was a lot of demand for what we were doing and we could see a lot of potential impact in what we were doing. Um, and so we had this idea to um, uh, to, to try and A, expand the work, but B, uh, bring in some sort of capacity building, some sort of, some sort of training into it. So um, over the years, I did a lot of work in... Um, uh, bladder cancer, for example, that was a big project that I looked at, um, trying to uh, streamline the the pathway in Cornwall for patients with muscle invasive bladder cancer. That was a that was a really uh, that was a project I was really proud of. I think because um, uh, we actually reduced the waiting time for patients that need treatment very quickly um, by over five and a half weeks, um, and so that really that gave me that kind of buzz that. Uh, that I love getting and I love seeing in the training program and seeing other people get uh, that actually this fun stuff that I'm doing um, is actually having an impact on um, people's lives and can actually make a real positive difference. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of my sort of journey. But uh, 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 so the, the training was kind of uh, square in my head. I think that's that's really what led to a, a lot of the inception of HSMA, I think. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've everyone has got such a different routine, haven't they? So you you've come in via bees. I used to work with a data scientist who had a PhD in cows. I never found out quite what that meant, but something to do with cows. Uh, mine's a bit more usual in that my background is kind of psychology, which is a bit more. Um, but I think it's almost computers that are surprising with the with the psychology bit. Um, yes. 
And yeah, I think it has been, you mentioned sort of 2011 there, isn't it? I think that seems to be when this stuff's really started to kind of take seed in, in where I was. I think I was aware of R&M about 2009, 2010. Yeah. And it was, it was very obscure, wasn't it? Um, back in those times, but things have gone now. Oh, that's reminding me, perhaps we'll, there's time at the end of the podcast for a little like R and Python debate because I've just, oh, right, okay, yes. <laughs> we've done that on HSMI, haven't we? But we'll, we'll see how the timing goes. Um, right, yeah, so of course that's led you to the, um, to the HSMA program. So just tell us a little bit about the program and kind of what, what people learn and, and how it's all done. Yeah, so basically the, um, the HSMA program, which is the uh, Health Service Modeling Associates program, um, it's basically, uh, I like to describe it as it's kind of a training program where you get to immediately use the skills that you've just learned. So unlike training programs that we've probably all been on in our lives where you think, oh, that's really interesting, and then you never use it, or you forget about it by the time you do. Um, we always framed HSMA as a way to be able to immediately apply that stuff, because ultimately what we wanted to do was create people who are working in the health service, um, who could actually do the kind of stuff that we were doing um, us, uh, th themselves. Um, and so the way it works, um, it's, I mean, it's evolved a lot over the years, but um, basically the, the, the core principles are the same. It's um, currently a 15 month program uh, and people get released uh, for a day a week uh, for that period uh, from their usual role. Uh, and what we do, the, the program is split into two phases. Um, in the first phase, uh, we have a, uh, which at the moment is six months, we basically teach uh, a lot of stuff, and I, I do mean a lot. So essentially, we uh, uh, we go from coding from first principles, so we don't require anyone to um, have previous programming experience uh, coming onto the program. Some do. Um, some have a little bit they've done in the dim and distant past, um, but largely forgotten. But it doesn't matter. We, we teach that from first principles. Then we teach coding. A lot of the stuff we do is in, in Python, but we do a little bit of R um, as well. Um, and then basically we, we kind of take them through the uh, smorgasbord of stuff that we do within our team. Um, so things like discrete event simulation, where you're building computer simulations of queuing problems. So pathway issues uh, in, in the health service, what happens to patients on their journey and what happens if we change the resourcing or fiddle around with things. Um, we teach them uh, machine learning, uh, how we can get um, machines to try and uh, make predictions and learn from data. Uh, natural language processing, can we extract information uh, from free text um, that, that can lead to uh, predictions and service improvement, uh, but all sorts of other stuff as well. I mean, we do um, geographic modeling problems where you're essentially trying to work out where uh, to locate services or um, whole systems modeling where where you're looking at larger scale systems um, agent-based simulation which is basically what i did uh, for my phd where you're sort of modeling individual behaviors um, there's so much stuff that we that we cover and we try to give people a, a real flavor of the different things that we do um, with the idea being that something hopefully will spark an idea because in the second phase of the program which is where the real heart of the program is i think um people actually get an opportunity to then use those skills not for a toy example but for something real um for a real problem that their organization is facing um so uh, uh something that the organization is struggling with that the um the uh, hsma uh, can uh, see well hang on i've just learned about this um and can we use these methods to try and solve that problem? Um, and so we support them uh, in that second phase um, where they get mentoring support from us. 
Uh, we come together once a month to basically chat about, you know, what they've been up to. Um, they get to share problems, have a bit of a rant, um, share uh, successes, um, share ideas and collaborate. Um, but basically the idea is we, we support them uh, as best we can to try and um, uh, take these skills that they've learned and apply them to something real world, essentially become applied researchers who hopefully beyond the project that they've undertaken, um, actually uh, uh, will be able to go on and use these skills more in, in the future. Um, and something I always forget to say about the HSMA programme, but it's probably worth flagging off, um, it's completely free. So uh, we offer this programme uh, free of charge. We're uh, currently centrally uh, funded uh, to do so. Um, and so people don't need to pay to uh, access the programme. Uh, uh, as you touched on, Chris, all of our kind of materials are free and open source. Um, uh, we have a YouTube channel where people can view the lectures. You can literally watch along uh, as, they, as they're added each week. Um, all of our materials are open um, and all of the methods that we teach are free and open source uh, methods. Um, uh, and that also means that, you know, there's no sort of financial barrier as well. Um, but it also means that we can uh, ensure that the stuff that people are learning actually is open and transparent, which is really important to us. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's for me, it's uh, about getting that, seeing that, that buzz uh, of people being able to take stuff which hopefully is enjoyable and interesting and actually apply it to something real world and then look at it and think do you know what I, I've, I've actually made a difference by doing this thing I, I learned this this cool thing that was quite interesting and rather than just go back and say to my colleagues oh I, I learned about this cool thing we should probably use that sometime actually I've now undertaken a project and hopefully that's made a, a change for people's lives, for the organisation. It's helped improve efficiency. It's helped to um, improve the patient experience, um, whatever it may be. Um, so it's it it for me. I think it, it's a really nice way to be able to see people develop um, and actually apply those apply those skills so so immediately and so impactfully. I think. Yeah, I mean, just on the kind of open openness of it and the fact that it's free. I mean, it's sort of it's almost kind of so good that you almost think the bosses are going to kind of wake up one day and kind of cancel it. So we have, we have this sort of big lie, I think a lot of, in a lot of places where there's this idea that you have to kind of keep things secret. You have to lock your resources away and you have to kind of protect your stuff because if you don't, all your work will kind of just disappear out the window. And one of the things I love about HSMA is that you're on YouTube and you're on, you know, giving all this stuff away, yet you still have people coming through the course because they want to, have the training and have the kind of the project support and because that's what that's the, what that's really what it's all about isn't it yeah i think so and i think you know I, I i you're absolutely right and i think the you know for us as a team as a as an entire research team you know our, our ethos has been we are we are an open team um and you know that 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 kind of cuts right to our heart really because it's 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 about do you know what the stuff that we're doing and the stuff that we're teaching in hsma this stuff is having a real impact on patients' lives. Now, hopefully that's a positive impact. Um, but we believe strongly that actually people have a right to be able to question stuff that is uh, being changed. You know, if, uh, if a model's being changed, it suddenly changes, you know, for, uh, uh, the, the bladder cancer pathway in Cornwall uh, and improves it by five and a half weeks, that's great, but people should be able to see how we, you know, how those changes were made. There were significant changes that are brought about as a result of that model. Um, and so um, I think for us, it's 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 not being so precious about the the content because, as you say, it's 
it's less about that. Do you know what? I mean, there, there is, particularly in terms of Python and data science, I mean, there's loads of stuff out there. There is stuff I think we teach that is more unique. Um, I think particularly the uh, SimPy training we do, the package we use for um, discrete event simulation. I mean, one thing that's come up is we've identified there, are, there is very little training uh, on that out there. Um, and so actually, you know, we, we, we are quite unique in, in, in offering that. But uh, even even so, I think, you know, making sure that uh, in, in, information, the sharing of information sh shouldn't have barriers. Um, and uh, one of the most wonderful things um, I've seen in, in more recent months is, uh, uh, you know, people commenting on our YouTube channel from uh, the far flung corners of the globe. I think we had somebody from Brazil um, a little while back who said, thank you so much. Uh, uh, th this training has been really useful. It actually helped me get a job. Um, I was able to. Uh, use uh, uh, this open source package. Uh, before that, I, I thought that discrete event simulation was kind of off limits to me because I'd have to buy this expensive software. But now you've kind of made that open and free and accessible. Um, and I've been able to upskill and be able to teach and I can use those skills that, that, that you've taught. Um, and as you say, I think the the, the real, the value of the uh, coming onto the program is actually um, uh, being part of that life, so being part of the program, being um, getting to work with people from uh, across different organisations. So the program's open uh, at the moment nationally to anybody in England, um, and so you get to work with people all over the country um, from different organisations and from different sectors. I mean, we have health, social care, and, and policing staff as well that we we have on the program. So you get um, that's such a crucial element that people get to collaborate and work together who normally wouldn't. Um, and it sort of goes down to that, that, that sort of heart of, you know, sharing and collaboration. Um, but also, I think that, the, you know, the mentoring support that we can provide, so that that, that sort of um, community that we're building uh, of, of people that can help you take your first tentative steps. Okay, we, we, you, you've learned it. Can we support you to put this into practice and gain that confidence by actually doing something? And, of course, gain the... Uh, the awareness uh, and the visibility and, and, and the credibility of their organisation, um, who move from thinking, well, yeah, this this could be quite a you know a good way to upskill my staff to, wow, this this stuff that we've uh, got our staff to learn, this has had a real difference. That's transformed an aspect of our organisation. We should be doing this more. Um, and so, building that awareness is such an important part. So, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think it's. Uh, for us, it's certainly not being precious about the the content, uh, uh, the, the training content. In fact, just trying to bring people through the program so that we can support them and 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 seeing it as very much a, a sort of uh, open and growing community that we're building. Yeah, and and another thing you sort of touched on, but just to make it clear to people listening, so when you're talking about collaboration, that the, there are individual projects with them, and they're actually being done each project has got kind of multiple people on it and that is quite an unusual I talk about this a lot in my work particularly between organizations collaborating on that kind of level is 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 quite rare and it does require a, a decent amount of kind of skill and support and so the fact um, I mean you didn't even really highlight it there so you know that's it just goes to show how much you're achieving by actually that's just one of the kind of side benefits is this kind of inter because I mean I'm involved in in talking to to one of the groups and uh, I think yeah, I think they're all police, but I th there's like two or three different organisations all in there, which is quite remarkable, really. Yeah, absolutely. And it, that's been a, a, a kind of wonderful thing that we've seen um, as HSMA has grown and evolved um, in that people have just naturally sort of moved towards that. Uh, and we've encouraged it. Um, and we've, we, we've, you know, I think in the way we, we teach and we, we push that sort of openness, that, 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 that collaborative spirit, um, hopefully we've encouraged that. But it, very much... 
um, it, it, most of our projects, I would say, over the over the last few years, have been collaborative projects. So people not working alone, but actually, as you say, working with people from different organisations, even different sectors, um, in in some cases, because they see the the value in in, in sharing this. I mean, we've got a uh, a great example at the moment uh, of a, a project that's going on um, where they're looking to do some uh, some modelling around um, some uh, an urgent care facility. We've got somebody uh, who's working in Devon, working with somebody who's working, um, sorry, in North Devon, working with somebody um, in, uh, in Exeter. Um, they have very different needs in terms of the model. So rather than just build one of them go off on their own and build a model of their organization and that works and that's brilliant that's impactful and then they sort of throw away almost disposable modeling they're working together right now to say well actually this is useful for both of us so why don't we build a model that works for both of our organizations and the brilliant thing that, that we saw within a month they thought well hang on if we're going to do that then why limit it to two? Why don't we make this model as generic as possible so that anybody can use this? So it works for both of our organizations, but also we do what we can to provide that as an open source tool that then anybody can use. And we've seen that time and again in, in the program that people have um, uh, sort of caught on to this, this, the power of being able to um, develop stuff that other people then can sort of run with, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, it, it's often poorly understood in kind of leadership and uh, kind of health and social care. Collaborative projects are better. They just are better because they're more generic. You know, they have better representation across the domain, you know, all these kinds of things. Um, rather than, I think often people see it as, oh, it'll be cheaper if we do it collaboratively or it's, or just it's a nice fuzzy feeling that we all have collaborating. But actually, in fact, even from a... a quite a hard data site, you know, the code will be better factored. It will actually, even the coding level will be better in a collaborative project. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we, we see that all the time that people, you know, there's, I, I mean, I've, I, speaking from experience, you know, I, I've stared at uh, my own code for, for hours on end thinking, what is this? What is this nonsense? Where, where is the, where is the bug? I know you're in there, but you know, you become so, I think particularly with, with the coding, you become, uh, if you're doing it solo, it, 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 you become uh, so blind to what you're doing and it, because you're so close to it that actually just having somebody else take a look at it. And, you know, it's, it would, for the scale of what we do is impractical for us to be, you know, checking over everybody's code. So actually having um, groups where they can say, well, we can share out the coding duties and, and do you know what, uh, this bit isn't working, getting one of the other uh, team to have a look at it. And, you know, we see that, um, that people uh, are, you know, solving problems for each other and, and improving their coding skills. They're, they're sharing things that, oh, I've learned you can, uh, about this little package that we can use. Um, oh, that's really neat. I mean, we saw that one of the learning set meetings recently where um, that was a couple of months ago, and uh, one of the um, uh, one of the HSMAs had uh, started building a, a little Streamlit app um, for their model, um, and we do a little bit of uh, Streamlit teaching, which we're building up for, for the next round as well. Um, but uh, seeing it in use and and uh, uh, the HSMAs getting to see, oh wow, they did this, and then them sort of explaining, actually, this is pretty easy, and this is what I did. It was remarkable. Within a month, I think eighty percent of the projects had suddenly started using Streamlit because um, they saw the potential that they were able to see and that sharing of uh, information and, and, and people being able to see the success and, and uh, um, being able to share that, I think that, that was remarkable to see. Um, and it's something that we, we do see within the programme. And I think that's that's such a beautiful thing to to see that. And, it, you know, it goes back to this idea that it is a community that we're, we're, we're trying to build, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Right, let's move on to the kind of history. So tell us like, so this is HSMA 5. So just tell us kind of how it's evolved and, and, and kind of how we've got to where we are now. Yeah, so um, it started back in 2016. We, we piloted the program. Um, actually, before we piloted the program, we, we, we had the idea for many years to do this. And we, um, uh, I remember setting up a, um, a couple of years before we actually launched HSMA, um, we set up this little thing that was, uh, I think it was called the Training and Seminar Series, I think I called it, which was basically these these um, uh, sort of events every month or two where um, people would come along, we'd uh, get in some speakers to talk about uh, modelling work that had been done, um, and we'd do a little bit of training, and they were getting increasingly popular. And, you know, so um, our organisation, uh, still to this day, really, is, is, is funded to support um, the southwest of England, which is... Um, uh, for our patch, it's basically all of Cornwall, all of Devon, and, and most of uh, most of Somerset. Um, but uh, what we what we started to see was that this this was getting hugely popular, and actually this HSMA thing um, that's been talked about really since our inception. Um, this idea of building capacity in in the health service to train people up to do this um, actually probably had a lot of legs. Maybe we should just do it. So. Um, uh, I remember uh, myself and um, the director of our, our group, uh, Martin Pitt, uh, basically going around for several months speaking to um, uh, chief execs of uh, various local trusts and saying, look, we've got this kind of mad idea. Um, and we we thought we were going to be laughed out, uh, laughed out of the ring. We thought asking at the time it was a 12 month programme and we thought we're asking for a member of staff um, to be released for a day a week for a year they're going to say no to this um and unanimously they all said this is a fantastic idea we can see the investment they didn't have uh they they they, they didn't have the money they said we can't we can't support it with you know money we can't pay for people to be on that course um but we can uh, uh we can see a huge investment um opportunity um and so we kind of knew we were on something good um we, we ran a relatively small scale pilot with um six hsmas um in the first round um and uh we basically at the time we were uh, all doing it in person uh, we'd meet once a month and eat a lot of cake and talk about um things and we were learning as we went really to see what what worked and what didn't um and we formed this really nice sort of collaborative culture um and it worked really well we had this little um evaluation that ran alongside it that uh, another team within our organization was uh, sort of running um and they interviewed us and they interviewed uh, the HSMAs and we tried to get a basic sense of what worked, what didn't. Um, and I think there were 15 recommendations that came out of that. And um, by the end of it, we'd started to get really impactful work coming out. So um, one of those projects um, actually led a, a couple of years later um, to a uh, £13 million new mental health board being built in Devon um, because uh, they basically were sending a lot of patients um out of area because they didn't have the capacity uh and people in mental health crisis being uh far away from their support networks their friends and their family just wasn't right um and so this relatively simple modeling they did just showed them what they needed in order to make this work and it helped to put together this business case that then led to this 13 million pound investment and we we, we just thought well this is we're starting to see buildings uh, being built now as a result of this this there's clearly something about this and so we launched the second round. We put in uh, um, a bit of the learning, so that the, the various recommendations that were made, we, we we put in the changes that were recommended. Um, what was extraordinary was we went from uh, having six in the first round. Uh, I think we had seven applications on on the first one, um, and uh, in the second round, 
uh, we had, I think, 52 applications. Um, and we took forward 26 of them. Uh, and it was just starting to grow and grow. And so um, HSMA 3, by the time we got to that, um, that launched in uh, 2020. Um, at the same time as a, 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 another global event launched. Um, and so we thought, well, uh, do you know what? This might be an opportunity to uh, try out uh, an online model and see if that if that works, because we're growing quite significantly. By this point, I think we had 70 to 80 um, uh, on HSMA 3. And we didn't want to lose that uh, kind of collaborative culture, that, 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 that closeness, that working together spirit. Um, so we built in things that would help support that, things like the peer support groups, where um, although it's a large cohort, everyone's kind of got a little bit like a tutor group, I suppose, really, where, you know, you you, you listen to the lectures live, um, but then you go off and uh, do little exercises in between the lectures um, and you all work in your groups. So you're still getting that that, that sort of uh, collaborative uh, um, sense going. Um, and that worked really well. And we thought, well, do you know what, if, if, if we can, if we've made this online model work. So what's now stopping us from going national? Um, and so we thought for HSMA 4, we'll pilot uh, going national. And we thought, because we kept getting questions from people outside the patch saying, I've heard about this programme you're doing in the Southwest. This sounds really great. Um, and, you know, I, I'd love to be uh, part of that. And we'd have to keep sort of turning people away and say, well, we're only really funded for the Southwest. But it didn't feel right. Um, you know, we knew that what we were doing had a lot of a lot of potential and we didn't want to turn people away so we thought we'll pilot it um and i think that year and um, bear in mind you know although we were, I, i'd like to think we we're quite well known locally within our patch uh, as being you know sort of quite a well-known um research group because we'd worked with a lot of organizations over the years um nationally obviously a lot of people wouldn't have known us um and so we were a bit of an unknown but we put it out there and I think we, we decided to get some registrations of interest just to sense what it might be. We had over 300 people contact us within the space of just over a month. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm really interested in signing up for the programme. Um, and that kind of took us back a little bit because it was just it was really showing we're really onto something here and people really want this. Um, and so how can we best support that? So I think we ended up taking, uh, uh, um, uh, I think it was about 80 uh, for that particular round of the programme. And then we thought, but well, you know what, we, we can't go back now to, to just uh, dealing with the Southwest. There's, there's clearly um, an impact. So we, 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 we uh, uh, had conversations with various uh, funders um, and uh, we managed to get uh, secure some uh, funding to basically extend that to all of England uh, and support us running the programme. So we could keep it free at the point of contact. We talked about maybe having, you know, uh, sort of pay models we didn't want to put that barrier in place it's all about removing barriers for us so um so we managed to get the support to do that and um uh they basically provided us support to run hsma5 the current round and and the next round and we're currently in talks um to expand that even further and, and I, I think you know so this year we we took on i think 113 hsmas uh, and the sizes when you think it was only 2016 that we had six people sat in a room basically um eating cake um and and, and now we've grown to this you know sort of uh 100 plus cohort size per year um and having this this ever-growing community so we've got a um a slack uh, community um that where everybody who's ever been on the hsma program is part of that and that's building we've got over 300 people on that and we've worked with i think over 80 organizations nationally now so um it's really helping to kind of spread the word and we see this time and again with hsma that 
as word spreads, people see the benefit because people, you know, that's one of the beauties of HSMA. People come on the program, they they learn something, then they immediately apply it. And hopefully that has an impact, a positive impact for their organization. Um, and so that organization becomes invested and then word spreads. Um, and we saw that in the early years. And that's obviously just growing exponentially now, I think. Yes, indeed. And I was on HSMA 5, which is why I invited you on the podcast. So yes. <laughs> that's another one. Um, <laughs> Uh, yes, so um, I, I think the thing is, I mean, obviously HSMA is great as we were discussing earlier, but I think the other thing, the other point it illustrates is that there was this massive demand, wasn't there, in 2016, and that that chimes with my experience as well, is that the demand was there, but it just wasn't recognised. And when you, we've had the same thing with HSR. Once you start putting this stuff out there, just you know, you're absolutely swamped with people who want it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one one stark thing that I've always noticed right from the beginning of HSMA actually is that. Um, uh, obviously, you know, it's open to anyone with an interest uh, in, in what we're doing. You need to have obviously a, a, you know, a level of um, computer literacy because we're going to teach you coding. You don't have to have coded before, but it has to be something that you're probably going to get on with. Um, but um, one thing we've those a lot of people we get are, are analysts or working in analyst type roles. Not everybody. We've had loads of clinicians um, who've come on the course have done fantastic things. Um, but particularly for the analysts that have come on the course, it's been very stark how much they've been able to, you can see their potential. You can see how much they can do uh, if they're given the tools to do it. Um, and actually, you know, uh, probably, uh, you know, in the early days of us as a team and certainly the early days of Pencord, actually, you know, a lot of what they were doing was routine reporting um, and actually uh, they could do so much more. And I think this really opened their eyes and their organization's eyes up to um, the, the, the kind of hidden talent that they could unlock. Um, and actually, they, you know, they have these people working in their organisations already that can do this stuff, um, and they just need that, that sort of nudge in the right direction. Um, I also remember many years ago, just in our research work, I remember going to, uh, uh, and this is probably a few years into uh, the research team, um, and uh, we had a, a meeting um, I won't mention the organisation, but uh, there was a, a local organisation um, where we were going to do some community nurse um, modelling, basically to, to try and optimise their uh, community nurse routing, um, uh, you know, with the order in which they should go and see their um, their service users. And um, we asked, well, how do you do it now? And the manager beckoned us over to a wall and he said, here's a map of our area. Here's a pin here's a piece of string and here's a pencil. This is how we do it now. And for me, that really hit me up because I realized that the, the gulf in, in what the, the kind of stuff that we were um, able to, to do and able to, to, to then go on to teach um, compared to what was actually happening uh, in, the, in the health service now. And we thought, you know, there's such a, there's such a huge demand so it, it 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 wasn't really a huge surprise when we saw that people were crying out for better tools because they knew that that was you know that was archaic um and they knew there were better methods but they just didn't have the the support in in which to be able to do it and i think that's that i think with hsma we were very much pushing at an open door as you say yeah which is a beautiful segue actually onto my next question so obviously you've interacted with lots of people who've been on this course so from your perspective what are kind of the barriers uh, to these kind of sectors of using some of these tools? Yeah, I think, I mean, there are always challenges. I think the the, the, the big one um, has been and always will be uh, IT issues. Um, and, uh, you know, so 
when people come onto the program, there is various software that they need to get installed, all of which is free, free and open source, um, uh, in order to come onto the program. Um, and uh, it's things like, you know, you need to install Python and you need to install R and um, you need to have these packages installed. And there's a, a piece of software we use called QGIS, which is a um, geographic mapping software, which is free and open source, all that kind of stuff. And um, there is definitely a resistance um, from IT departments that we have seen and that we've had fed back for every um, uh, round of the program. Um, and it's understandable, you know, these these uh, IT departments are used to installing uh, Microsoft products um, and a, a, a fairly stock suite of things that are used. And suddenly this person comes up to them and says, oh, by the way, I need Python installed and I need R installed and I need all of these things installed. Um, and uh, uh, it's, they ask why and, oh, it's to do this, this program where I'm going to be doing this uh, sort of machine learning stuff. Uh, and it's these people you haven't heard of. Um, and so th there, there is always that pushback. What's been great, actually, is that, you know, in in the vast majority of case, uh, cases, there's always been that that pushback and people have pushed through. Um, and whether that's been uh, um, their, their sort of managers supporting them to say, no, no, this is something we need to have happen. This is this is a really important thing. Uh, we're investing it as an organization. This needs to be, we know this looks different and weird, um, but actually this is something that we think is gonna be really useful. Um, and uh, uh, or sometimes people go off. I mean, we had a great example, actually. One of the policing associates, one of our first policing associates back in HSV3, um, who did this wonderful project um, where he basically went off and created this tool uh, that um, uh, would basically automatically identify the sentiment, um, whether it was positive or negative, of every tweet to every police force in the country. And then it would automatically generate all this analysis to tell what, what people were talking positively about, what people were talking negatively about. And it was amazing. It's absolutely incredible. And there, um, he started, he basically did all this on his own personal laptop. He couldn't get the um, uh, approval to get anything installed. Um, they, they were just like, no, 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 no we're, not, we're not touching that. Um, he was using um, open source public data uh, from Twitter, so it was okay. He could use his own um, machine. And the when he presented it to their comms team, they were so bowled over by what he'd done um, that they not only said, okay, we need to install this, because he was running this daily on his own little server. And they said, okay, we need to get this on, on one of our systems. And you know what? I think we need to install Linux. And it was <laughs> it was extraordinary to see the difference. Um, and we see that time and again, that people, once they see the benefit, um, once they, you know, the, the real benefits that have uh, made a real change to their organization, suddenly there's that that push and it's understandable you know it goes from being this this kind of unknown why do you want to do that you're trying to you know bring us down or you know that, that all sounds a bit scary open source that mean people hackers you know it's all that kind of stuff um to actually oh right i see why you want to do this i, I get this now um so but it, it is a perpetual issue it, it, it has been for every round of the program uh, it will be for the next one um and uh we we, we can do as much as we can um, we provide information on our resource site um, to help uh, sort of ease concerns. Um, I think in honesty, it's it's improving. Um, it is improving. And I think actually a lot of the work of um, organizations like NHSR actually have helped a lot because I think R has been um, a, a real success story in getting open source software more visible within within the NHS. So I think that's been a, a real win. And I think that's helped a lot. Um, we've certainly seen that in people that are coming forward, those that do have coding experience is usually in R. 
um, uh, if they've got you know some more recent uh, more recent experience. So um, yeah, I, I think it, it's 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 definitely still a challenge, um, and you know there's the, there are different ways in which we can we can try and help, um, but I think uh, ultimately it it, it 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 can be a real barrier. But hopefully it's one that uh, can be overcome, and that we can you know help really build that. Um, that community of people that, that that are doing this as well. Yeah, I think it is getting rarer. If from our, you know, from looking through NHSR, I did have a, a message from someone the other day that was struggling to get R installed. So oh, I'm nice. going to just very briefly do a bit of a public service announcement now, actually, just in case any of the IT department and that organisation happen to be listening to us, which is probably pretty unlikely. So you've just heard that HSMA is in use in eighty. It's been, you know, it's interacted with. 80 different organizations. Nearly all of those organizations have installed both R and Python without incident. So I think that's, that it seems to be like a herd mentality. That seems to be the way that we get through it. We go, well, they're doing it and they're doing it and they're doing it and they're doing it. And once you get that, the IT department are like, oh, well, everyone else is doing it. So it's okay. Yeah, I think I think it very much is that. And we've seen that before. I think, you know, it's that it's that it's human nature, isn't it? Almost that you're you're afraid to stick your head above the parapet um, and be the only ones. What what if we do this and we get this wrong? You know, and what you know. Uh, but but I think as uh, it, it's it's certainly improving as more organisations are doing. I think that can uh, we we've seen that in the HSMA chat on on the uh, on the Slack actually of people saying, uh, do you know what? I'm I, I, I'm having this issue. Any recommendations? And then people chipping in. Well, I have this problem. Here's what you know how I discussed it, and here's how I got around it. Um, and so people supporting each other, and uh, it is that reassurance that it's not just us. Don't worry. This is a you know this is a thing that's happening. It's happening centrally in NHS England. I think you know there's a lot of push from NHS England to actually install a lot of this stuff as well now. So I think it is it is happening. But you're always going to have a you know an department that's uh, uh, a little bit more siloed and just thinking what what on earth are you asking for why 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 do you suddenly want all these programming languages but um uh, and i think you know to be honest it's a bit of a cultural thing as well i think you know for so many years we went um and i think the nhs got a bit stuck in that um this idea that it is microsoft office um and i think you know that uh, we we kind of had this generation that that that, that grew up thinking IT is Microsoft Office, and it came just after my generation. So, you know, we, we, we had all of the, uh, um, we're, we're coding magic things on our televisions. Um, and then just after that, oh, suddenly we've got these things called Word. IT is Word. Um, and uh, actually, it's, you know, I think getting people out of that, because it's clear, you know, you see so much use of things like Excel and Power BI, where people are trying to build these kind of models so that, you know, there's that, that desire to do this stuff. Um, it's just about unlocking those tools and making sure people are aware that you know this stuff is out there and this, that there are these solutions that are uh, are reliable and are being used and uh, you know the 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 uh, I think my our, our next challenge is getting uh, Linux installed across the NHS but that may be a longer term vision. <laughs> <laughs> that is definitely a longer term vision. Um, yeah, I think I just skipped that as well. Yeah, so. I think IT, this is a different podcast already, but I think IT education is just Microsoft now. So my son's just started year seven. My eldest son is in year seven. And I'm pretty sure he will be learning Microsoft. And, it's, and I'm going to be very unhappy about it. And yeah. I've, I can see a, a future of myself sitting down with the IT teacher and saying, I'm very sorry, but I do work in IT. And this is just not, this isn't IT. This no, is something else. Yeah, that's right. It's, it, it's, it, it's so depressing. It, it really is. You know, it's it's such... 
when you consider the the you know we had a um in my generation you know we, we we grew up with that 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 magic of programming and learning uh you know the potential of it and and, and the fun and we, we you see it time and again when you when you chuck kids in front of stuff like this they love it it, it, it applies to it speaks to their creativity um it speaks to their um their their, their kind of innate uh, um, uh scientific prowess it merges all these things together they get to create these wonderful things um and so it's such a shame to see that distilled down into here's a package of uh, uh, you know, applications that allow you to write some documents and uh, run some spreadsheets. That's that's as you say, it's not IT. Um, and so uh, you know, we we see it on the program. You you see people that have come through who for whom that you know academically that has been IT. Um, and so opening their eyes up to to some of the possibilities are, are, are really important. I think um, yeah, I I, I hope the that we as a, 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 a kind of a country that wake up to that and, and realise there is so much more potential that these these kids can be doing, um, particularly now, you know, with the such a strong growth in, 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 in the importance of data science, we absolutely need to be prepping the next generation for that. Well, and computers are so cheap as well, aren't they? I mean, I've got a Raspberry <laughs> Pi sitting in front of me. It's like 10 quid. Get one, yeah. stick a keyboard in, stick it in your monitor, and you can write software to go to the moon. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's not like the old days where you, you know, my, my first Atari 800. I, I don't know how much it was, but it was expensive. It, you know, we were a low-income family, and it certainly was a large chunk of that income. Hopefully, a very good investment, <laughs> uh, given what happened. But, um, but yeah, I mean, th th these were kind of luxury items, very niche items, and, and now they're not. As you said, they're, they're accessible. Everybody uh, can gain access to computers to do coding very cheaply and very easily. Yeah. Right, I I could go on for that for about I could talk about that for another hour, but I won't. I'll, I'll press on. I might. I feel like I might should do a podcast about because we I've talked about this. So we've I've talked with guests several times about this, this issue of kind of what we what we learn and you know how computers are embedded culturally because I think it really matters to to what we do. Yes. Um, but it's not it's not something that it's not data science per se. It's a kind of it's it's adjacent to it. But I do think it's really important. Um. I must say, one of my favourite data scientists, Zoe Turner, who regular listeners of the podcast will will know, is a philosopher by background. She's, she's not she boxed the gen <laughs> by she wasn't interested in computers at all um, yeah. until she came across data science. So anyway, um, right, what else are we talking about? Um, oh yeah, so on a slightly similar theme. So what if you someone's listening to this and they're frustrated at work or they're interested or you know they want to start using these tools what what would you say to them what would be your advice for the kind of next steps to kind of start you know down the train to being a model yeah so i think i mean my so my, i think my overall advice would be first of all do it if this is something that interests you pursue that don't let that 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 go because do you know what there's such a um uh, such a re rewarding path that can be forged by by being able to do this, by being able to do stuff that you inherently find interesting, um, that is hopefully fun, um, but actually then can can have a real impact on people's lives. So absolutely, don't ignore that. I think would be my 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 first advice. There's so much um, uh, in in the way of resources and stuff um, that is available out there um, that allows you to to explore this thing. But I mean that can be a bit of a double edged sword. It can feel a little bit like. Um, you know, there's so much information. Where do I start? Where do I start with that? I guess, you know, um, I think if you haven't coded before, dipping your toes in the world of coding is, is a good start. So um, there's plenty of resources out there. Python is a friendly language to start with. Um, it's uh, it, it removes a lot of the 
Um, the barriers, it has its disadvantages because of that, but it does abstract things nicely and it allows, uh, you know, that, that, that a nicer entryway um, into coding. So it, it allows people to sort of, you know, test the waters, dip their toes in and see if this is uh, something of interest. Um, but there are so many resources out there. I mean, um, so as I mentioned, we've got the, um, uh, the resources that we have freely available on, on the YouTube channel, um, which is uh, youtube.com. Uh, forward slash at HSMA, which is a nice, nice, easy way to get to that. Um, and um, all of that's free and open source. Dip into some of that. Just listen to, if you can put up with me talking for hours on end, just just dip into a little bit. It, is this something that, you know, interests you? It may even be that you want to join the um, uh, the HSMA program too. Um, and so we're hoping to uh, increase recruitment um, uh, uh, and increase the number of people that we're that we're bringing on. So if this is something interesting and you think you can see real potential for it in your organisation, then then definitely uh, consider that. But I would also say, even if you, even if uh, HSMA isn't, if you're not eligible for HSMA or if you don't uh, feel that's the right fit for you at the moment. Um, then have a look at some of the stuff that we've got up there, particularly around the, the impact stories. Um, uh, we, we always plot the, the kind of presentation events where people talk about their um, their work and the project work and what impact that's led to and see if that inspires you. Um, because, you know, if it does, I, absolutely this is something you need to, you need to pursue. But I, I definitely recommend dipping your toes in the world of um, coding first. Um, because so much of this is coding based. Uh, but if you like that and you enjoy and stick with it, it's people, I think, often think if I don't get coding immediately, it's not for me. Now, it may not be for you and it's OK if it's not for you, but stick with it a little bit because it can take people a little bit of time um, to, you know, it, it can be difficult to, to learn this stuff, particularly, you know, if you're not used to um, uh, uh, that, that sort of background where you've learned uh, a little bit of coding before when you were young and stuff like that. So um, stick with it. Um, see if it's something for you. Um, and then if you are going to get into modeling, I think, you know, particularly the discrete event simulation, that's a nice place to start. Um, I think that has, um, you can you can build, particularly with the packages, that uh, the package we use, SimPy, you can actually build stuff pretty easily that can have a, a real and immediate uh, impact. You can see the how this stuff translates to real world problems. You know, everyone... Uh, listening to this podcast is likely to be able to think of pathway problems in their own organization, um, issues where people are queuing for stuff to happen and that stuff needs resource. That's a discrete event simulation problem. Um, and so uh, that's a nice place to start to, to bite the modeling bug. In fact, I mean, that, that's pretty much what how we started as a, as, as a research team. Most of our work, nearly all of our work at the start, um, was discrete event simulation work. Um, so it's, it's a good place to start. Um, don't necessarily jump straight into all of the machine learning stuff, which is hugely powerful and hugely interesting. And it's a big part of what we do in the in the course, but it can be off-putting. You, you, um, you need to be aware of that. So find stuff that, that interests you, find stuff that you're, um, you're passionate about and you can see um, you're pursuing and, you know, I think, as of anything, stuff that you enjoy is the stuff that you're going to you're going to latch on to. But um, I definitely advise my overall advice would be if, if people are thinking about um, wanting to get involved with this kind of stuff to, to do it, to dip their toes in and explore, because um, uh, I promise you it is incredibly rewarding. Certainly, uh, I can't imagine a, a more rewarding role. Um, in terms of the work I've done both as um, in in the research work and, and teaching people how to do this um, in terms of being able to you know, do stuff that I was doing when I was 
four years old and thinking this is magical. I still think it's magical even even now. Uh, um, uh, but actually then to have that stuff make a real difference and make a positive change for people. There's no buzz like that, I think. So definitely uh, people should listen to their intuition on that, I think. Yeah, it is magical, isn't it? I think that's what drew me. I've been messing around with computers from an early age as well, but I didn't use them professionally for quite a long time. But yes, there's something about doing something that you know used to take three weeks, doing it in kind of five minutes. There is something yes. kind of amazing about that. Um, just to, I think, yeah, just to draw out what you say. Well, firstly, I've got to do a plug for R as well, because you mentioned Python. So Python is an easy language to learn, but so is R. So I'm just going to say <laughs> that. Um, and of course, we do have our sister organization, NHS PyCom. So um, if you're interested in uh, Python, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. There's loads of um, useful stuff over there. Um, I think the thing that I've observed is that, and I think this is also, again, something why I'm so interested in the cultural ideas we have. We'll grow up, we can be, we were talking about earlier, is that there's almost this idea that there's this sort of elite group of people who can program computers and nearly everybody else can't. And I challenge that wherever I go. It's really not true. A lot of people are like, oh, I can't do this. Now, yeah. some people are more gifted. than I mean, I don't count myself as, as gifted, really. I mean, I'm a decent, I mean, you know, I'm an okay programmer, but just because I've spent, I've been doing it for 10 years, that's why. You will meet people who are just great at it straight away. That's true in all walks of life. Um, and there are probably people who just, as you say, just don't get on with it at all. But I want people listening to this to know that there's a load of people in the middle that it doesn't really come naturally to and they don't hate it and you can just get on. And the other thing I would always say is you will do amazing, useful stuff fairly early on in your journey. So that what, what Dan's saying about sticking with it, I, that, I mean, that's why I started using R totally on my own. Didn't know what I was doing, didn't know who used it, didn't know anything. I just picked it up in 2009. And very early in that journey, I was doing useful things. I was like, wow, this is so I didn't feel like I was learning R anymore. I felt like I was using R straight away but a novice. And then I've been using it more and more as a novice. And it's that, that's what I try and tell people. You don't have to go to the University of R or Python for three years and then graduate the diploma and off you go. It, it's, a, it's a process and you'll find yourself using it. I wish I'd use it on my PhD. One of my great regrets in life did my PhD in Excel and SPSS. Um, and, you know, it would have been so, I can see, it, it would have been so much easier to, to do it another way. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I mean, you know, the, H, the H2A program has been a, a fantastic example uh, to that. And just to reiterate, you know, we have had hundreds of people come through this course, the vast majority of whom have never done any coding before. And the vast majority of whom have not only gone on to become regular coders, but have gone on to create fantastic projects. Uh, a, a brilliant example of that. We had a, um, a GP a few years ago. Um, who'd done a, a tiny bit of coding back at uni, but couldn't remember any of it. So I've uh, never done any Python before. Um, and uh, this was a, in HSMA 3, so this was uh, um, when the pandemic hit. And um, being a GP, uh, they were obviously looking to set up um, the uh, vaccination clinics uh, when they came in towards the end of that year. Um, and he'd literally just learnt Python, we just taught him Python on the course, and then we moved on to the first uh, subject, which is discrete event uh, simulation. And he looked at that, looked at his new skills, and looked over at um, the uh, the problem they had, and thought, discrete event simulation will solve that. I know, I, I, I can do this Python stuff now. And so he just did it. He created this model of the vaccination clinic, which incidentally showed what they were going to do wasn't going to work. Um, so they changed it around based on the model and, and the, the, the clinic worked lovely because they, they, they'd uh, actually put it through. And the immense sense of satisfaction that he got from doing that. And, uh, you know, if you'd have asked him a few months before, can you do Python? The answer would have been no. 
Um, and in fact, the answer for most people should be, well, I, 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 I haven't tried yet. Um, and actually, so many people are able to do Python. It just needs that, uh, uh, that little push and the, the, um, that initial commitment just to get over that hurdle. But this is not rocket science. And, you know, some of the stuff we teach on the program, I, mean, I mentioned earlier about neural networks. So um, I teach neural networks now on the program, and I'd like to think I understand them now, hopefully, because I teach them. Um, I went through my degree not understanding a word of neural networks. I and I, I vowed that I would never touch these blasted things again, um, that they were, they were far too confusing. I just didn't get them. Um, but actually, now I teach them. Uh, and so never rule out what you're able to do because you know that there's all of this stuff is particularly these days this st stuff is so much more accessible um not just the languages but some of the approaches you know machine learning used to be for the elite few um because very few people understood it and the barriers to actually using it were huge you had to really understand the, the sort of mathematical mechanics of a neural network in order to be able to use it you don't need to do that there are fantastic packages that are used that are developed for this uh, you just need to understand the basic principles um, and so many more people can do that. And it opens up to such a big audience now, I think. Indeed. Um, right. Okay. So let's uh, wrap up talking today. So let's just talk about the future of HSMA. What have you got planned? Yeah. So there's a, a, a few sort of key things that we want to do. Um, one of them is to build up our YouTube offerings. At the moment, as I mentioned, we've got this YouTube channel um, that basically is a kind of dumping ground for the lecture recordings so this is the these are very un-youtube videos the this is um here's the raw recording literally no editing whatsoever of me talking for six hours about neural networks uh the purpose not to attract the masses on youtube um but to serve as a reference point for the hsmas when they look back through the materials and and can skip ahead and what did dan say about this um that was why we set it off um what was remarkable, though, is that just using it in that kind of dumping ground resource site, um, we managed to get, uh, at the moment, I think we've got over 1,200 subscribers, and it's growing quite rapidly. Now we've hit the sort of magic 1,000 subscriber mark. Um, we're getting uh, tens of thousands of views on some of the content, particularly around the discrete event simulation stuff, um, and a huge positive feedback from it. So I think it's shown us that there's a real, if we can do that, um, and achieve that just by essentially dumping raw recordings of me talking endlessly all day. Um, what if we actually tried to do something uh, bespoke uh, that was actually suited for, for YouTube? So we want to build up the YouTube side of things and help sort of reach that, that wider audience, people that, 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 that can't be a part of HSMA, but can still learn about some of this stuff in a more accessible format. Um, we also want to really build this community structure. We want to turn HSMA from being a, a thing where you you come on you learn uh, and then you do a project and then that's it um we've always you know kind of pushed they shouldn't be it um but to actually really build that uh, build a community around that so we're, we're we're pushing this idea of really building up um bringing in more people to help mentor um and help support the h space and the projects chip in with expertise and ideas um and have this idea that we will support people whenever they want to do stuff that they they just talk about it in the community will provide support and people can chip in um and help and really building up that side of things so that's something we're hoping to do um for the next round and i guess the third big thing we want to do um it we're currently exploring 
can we take this program internationally? So the YouTube um, uh, 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 YouTube channel has shown that there is a, a massive appetite for this um, internationally. Um, can we can we translate the program? Can we broaden out the audience? So we're not just looking at, uh, at people who are in England, but can we broaden out to the rest of the UK and to other countries? And can we, um, because actually, one thing that we've learned time and again when we brought the police on board um, uh, a few years back, we thought, you know what, this is a this is a world that we're not familiar with. We're we're health service um, uh, researchers, but you know what, your problems are actually very similar to the problems in the health service. You know, where do you locate your police officers, your patrol cars, or you know, how do we improve this process? They're very common problems, and so the methods that we teach. I think are hugely translatable to um, not just uh, other sectors, but uh, potentially to other countries, to other ways of working, other systems. So we're really keen to explore um, how we might expand the reach of um, HSMA uh, even further. Um, so uh, hopefully this is just the, the start and we can, we can really push this message uh, globally. And who knows, maybe one day uh, interstellar. <laughs> Yeah, that's very exciting. I didn't know that. Yeah, international HSMA, that would be really, really cool. Yeah, um, I think so. I think so, yeah. <laughs> just on just on the YouTube, I think that's another thing that I really like about HSMA is that there's another kind of lie that's often kind of believed by kind of uh, leaders in the space is that kind of training is about kind of sitting in a room once and everybody sits there and listens and then they go away again and that's it. And time and time again through NHSR and other means, we've found that if you just take your stuff and just put it somewhere – it's not as good as the real thing, but people, you know, people will absolutely. So, yeah, I don't know offhand actually how, how the NHSR YouTube does, but we certainly, particularly some of our, I think some of our particularly popular courses, the intro course, and some of our particular things that we've had over the years have actually got lots and lots and lots of hits because it's just high quality stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's such a, there's such an interest in, uh, particularly at the moment, uh, uh, you know, data science um, and, and modeling. I think that's growing. And I think, uh, you know, having that, uh, it's, for us, uh, it's always everything we do is about uh, uh, improving um, the uh, accessibility, making this stuff more inclusive, making more people feel they can be able to do this. Um, and so this is just another string in the bow, I think, is another way in which we can help bring people forward. And you know what, if it makes one person uh, who never uh, dreamt of touching uh, coding or doing any modeling or machine learning before and suddenly they get to do something if it just affects one person i think it's absolutely worth doing so yeah, totally. uh, yeah. <clears throat> great thanks very much well it's been a really great podcast so thank you very much for coming on as i say i'm very i do think hsma and hsr as we discussed are very sort of kindred spirits so i think that's that's worth celebrating um so i will put links in the chat and not in the chat in the uh, show notes so i'll put links to hsma anything else i can dig out about the program and where it's located i will put some links to nhs pycom and nhsr in the uh, show notes as well i'm going to give a quick plug before we wrap up to the nhsr conference which is on the 17th and 18th of october we have r and python together on the main stage for the first time so if you're interested in either r or python go and have a look so i'll put a link in the show notes about that um, I'm going to remind you all that we have a, an, an email address to send messages to the podcast, which is nhs.rcommunity at nhs.net. So if you've got any comments or questions, then please send them in. Um, I normally thank Tom for doing the edit, but to be honest, he's actually too busy to edit, so I was going to do it myself. But this has been such a clean, beautiful podcast, I think there will be no edit. So um, I'm going to thank myself just for checking that it doesn't need editing. Um, 
And we have another uh, special guest coming up, I think, in a few weeks. Um, so we'll be back with that. So I'd like to thank Dan again, and uh, I'll wrap up there. Thanks very much. Thanks for inviting me on.